Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. If there is one sure thing about Hollywood, it is that no single path to success exists. Unlike doctors, lawyers, or accountants, Hollywood doesn't provide you a roadmap of simple steps that if you follow them, if you do the work, and if you produce results, you will automatically become successful. There are so many different paths to be taken and many more to be forged. And although the roads are going to vary for everyone, the more that I break down people's success stories, I've discovered that there are unwavering constants. Consistency, perseverance, and most importantly, a willingness to help others. Today's guest, Augustin Rexach, also known as Augie, has worked on such shows as From Dusk Till Dawn, Hawaii Five-0, the 2016 remake of Roots, and two seasons of Genius for National Geographic, just to name a few. And the unique path that he has forged throughout his very career is the absolute embodiment of these qualities. Coming to Hollywood from the island of Puerto Rico, Augie had every reason to believe that he would never make it in the film industry. And in this episode, he and I go deep into what it means to live by all of those qualities that I mentioned and how putting others first is often the fastest path to your own success. In addition to talking about how he got where he is today as a highly successful assistant editor, Augie also candidly shares his struggles with weight loss and burnout and the steps that he has taken to overcome both. And just because this episode was so good, I'm gonna give you a quick spoiler. In addition to Augie's consistency, his perseverance, and his willingness to help others, there was one additional key mindset that led him to where he is today, and that is the following quote, I have the job already, they just don't know it yet. If you find yourself questioning whether or not you will ever be successful in the entertainment industry, Augie's unique path to where he is today is a masterclass in learning how you can shift your mindset and approach your career from a completely different perspective. All right, without further ado, my conversation with assistant editor, Augustin Augie Rexach. 
I'm here today with Augustine Rexach, also known as Augie. And you, sir, are an assistant editor and an editor that's been working in scripted television Hollywood for the last several years. Some of your recent credits include The Purge, The Gifted, Genius, Hand of God, Roots, Hawaii Five-0. Dude, you've worked on some good stuff, and your story is so much bigger and so much deeper than some of these credits. I'm really excited that we can finally get this conversation on the record today. Thank you so much, Zach. I mean, I'm I'm super excited to be here. Very honored. You've kind of set the benchmark for, you know, give, giving editors and post-production people a voice, you know, for, and I followed your trajectory for, I guess, a good six years. So to be here is is pretty powerful for me. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's happened in those last six years, how we met, um, what the, the trajectory was about uh, work-life balance and figuring out how can I be healthy in this industry. But before we go there, I want people to get to know you a little bit better because you're not the likeliest candidate to be working on shows at the level that you are in Hollywood. So where in the world did all of this begin? You know, um, I was born in Puerto Rico, tiny island in the Caribbean Sea, uh, 100 miles long, 35 miles wide. And I'm sure you hear this from, from everybody that's in, in this industry, you know, like I never thought that I'd end up working in, in the industry, much less in Hollywood. But from a, a very young age, uh, my mother really fostered a love of cinema with me. And, you know, when, when it came time to uh, go to college, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend Boston University School of Communications. And I went about it pretty much like, like kind of Super Mario, you know, walking around and then the big mushroom pops up. And it was that day that the big mushroom popped up and it was, it's time to pick your major. I'm like, oh crap. And so I looked at this thing and I, and I saw it, I saw film production. And right away, I was like, oh, no, 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 you know, no, I can't do that. Like uh, kids that come from where I come from, they, they don't do that, you know. And then, the, you know, that was the little devil on, on the left shoulder. And then the angel on the right shoulder said, pick it. If you're afraid of it, go for it, you know. And I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll do this. And I, I did. I spent the, the next four years, you know, learning, you know, uh, all the facets of, of filmmaking in the analog world. Like I, I learned how to edit on, on a steam bag. There were no avids at that time. And then when I was in college, I never thought about editing as a career. Like you get caught up in the rigmarole of um, film school and everybody wants to be a director or a producer. And that's what I thought I, I, I would try. But then my teaching assistant towards the end of my tenure at BU said, you know, when you get out there, give editing a try because everything that I saw in your work, your short films and everything, the editing was always really interesting. And, you know, those are, are those things that, um, <clears throat> you know, a single sentence can change your life. And, and it did, you know. So when I got out there, I went back to Puerto Rico because I, I fell in love and I was like, I'm going back. And so... I heard his voice and I started working in commercials, you know, because that was the, the only like real filmmaking that was happening in the island that was sustainable from, a, from an income standpoint and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I arrived at this uh, wonderful uh, production company called Paradiso Films, uh, met my first employer, Hochi Melero, who was integral to my development and... He said to me, you know, we just got this thing called an Avid. 
And if you learn how to use it, you can have the night shift. And so that's it. They weren't paying me. I wasn't employed by them. But I just switched on that mindset that said, you know, I have a job already. They just don't know it yet. But I already have the job. So I'm going to start coming in every day, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. I was there waiting for the editor to have a break. And it took me about six months to like really teach myself. And, and, and the biggest obstacle was actually getting time on the machine. Because, you know, the, the regular daytime editor was so busy. You know, long story short, got it, did it, um, started editing. And then from there on, I got invited to work in Miami. Did that for about eight years and cut all sorts of things from music videos, documentaries, uh, commercials was always the, the backbone of my livelihood. And little by little, I kept moving west because the... That voice that said, you know, I want to tell stories and I want to be inscripted, whether it's features or television, was always there. And finally, in 2010, we took the plunge, came out here and um, went for it. And, and it, it, it took a bit to uh, get a foothold in the industry. But I did it. And I'll never forget, this is something that we didn't talk about. But in 2000, I met you in 2010 at Edit Fest. I knew I recognized you and I couldn't put my, my, put the, the face and the name and everything together, but I've always felt like I knew you, but I couldn't place it. So I'm glad yeah. you finally uh, reminded me of that. That's what it is. Like, yeah, I had just gotten to LA and I was like living and walking in abject terror because it was like, I have a family, I have a one-year-old and I have no job. And, but I went to edit fest and I met you and we got to talk a little bit and, you gave me a lot of um, a lot of confidence. Just just the fact that you would a speak to me, a complete stranger, you know, and meeting you and, and knowing your credits and all that stuff. At the time, I believe you were doing Burn Notice. I just started Burn Notice, and I was talking about my first season on that panel. I'd never spoken on a panel, never did any of that. And they said, "Hey, you want to be at Eddie Fest to talk about Burn <laughs> Notice?" I'm like, "What planet am I living on?" So I'm glad that it had the positive impact on you. Yeah, right. and and you know, Burn Notice. You know, <clears throat> I never worked on it. But um, I did have the pleasure of working with um, James Wilcox on Hand of God, where we got to meet, meet the wonderful Ben Watkins. Oh, yes. I love Ben. Yeah. You know, that show, my time on Hand of God was really special. I, I have to say that that group of people, all that, that whole post crew was just like an amazing level of human quality. Like, you know, I was there and I felt so at home. I felt so happy uh, to go to work every day on, on that show. And, and I think it, uh, it started with Ben, you know, and it just it, it always down. comes from the top down. Yeah. Uh, ben learned very well from, uh, from Matt Nix himself. Matt Nix was the showrunner creator of Burn Notice. And then uh, Ben was one of the executive producers, writers, also an actor on the show a few times. Um, I loved working with Ben. He was nothing but a pleasure. Um, and had things aligned differently, schedules and otherwise, it would have been great to work on the show. Didn't end up working out. But um, yeah, I, I love, uh, love, love Ben. And uh, I'm guessing you also got to know Steve Lang. Yes. Uh, and Steve yes. Lang was the reason I got burn notice. So he's a good, a good friend of mine and colleague. And we, we could reminisce forever. However, <laughs> I think there's a lot more value we can pull out of the story. We've barely just begun. There's so many layers of the onion that we can peel. But where I want to start, you may not even realize it. 
but you've already pulled out a very specific theme in your conversation. You've talked about the many different voices that you've either listened to or not listened to. And the scripts that we have in our head are so powerful. And we're going to talk a lot more about those. But you mentioned that there was this voice that told me, I, I should do this. This professor, you heard his voice. You said, I'm going to follow this. But there was also another voice that I think is really important that we need to talk about, which is the voice that said, oh, no, kids from Puerto Rico, we don't go to film school. This isn't for me. We don't become film majors. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people out there listening right now feel the same way. They feel, oh, the, I'm an outsider. I'm a minority. I'm not sure this is for me. Mm -hmm. How do we get them to not listen to that voice and take the path that you did? Man, you know, that, that is such a, a loaded question. I'm so glad you asked me that because I, I am still struggling with that. I, I feel like um, I'm in my fourth decade in this, in this world. I won't say where in that fourth decade I fall because I don't want to date myself too much. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, 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 I feel young, man. I, I feel like I don't get old, you know, but... I still struggle with it. I've, I, I feel now, um, and especially with, with what's happened with the pandemic and all that stuff, it's been a, a huge reset button. And, and what the pandemic has done for me is that it, it's really like made me take stock of all the BS in my life and, and really has given me the time to do a lot of self-reflection. Like I'm not afraid of silence. Like I, I know a lot of people who couldn't work or, or what, and they're freaking out. They're like, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, every day in my life, I've either, I've either been working or thinking about how to get work or, but we're not comfortable with our own silence. And that's something that I've always been very comfortable with. So this pandemic has given me a lot of time to reflect and I've been really taking stock little by little of everything and all, all the things that I've ever told myself and, and how valuable they've been and if they've, they've had a net effect. And, and that, that inferiority complex, I guess, that you develop as, a, as an, you know, a kid from another country or, you know, cause we, we have a complicated relationship because we are U.S. citizens, but it's, it's a different country. I was, I was brought up in the Island. I left the Island when I was 20. English was not my first language and it's a, it's a whole different culture, but all that to say, and not to be glib about it, but it's like, listen to that voice that says that you are not worthy of that. Accept it but let it go through you. I think the, the, the big mistake that I've made, and, I, and I'm, I'm always going to try to, to speak from the I. I don't feel comfortable with being like a motivational speaker or like a life coach or whatever. I'm just going to tell you my story. And if anybody benefits from it, awesome. And, you know, and if I'm full of it, then, you know, feel free to tell me that too. That's cool. You have to like let it go through you. I, I think when you ignore a feeling and you tamp it down, it's almost like, like clogging up the pipes, you know, that energy, that feeling is going to stay in there. Um, and then you'll realize that most of your energy and time is going to be spending tamping down those insecurities. But when you face up to them and you accept them, but you let them go, then you can flow. And 
And so what I would say to anybody who's thinking that anybody in like another country or whatever, it's like, don't listen to it. You will never quiet those voices. If, if the voice is inside of you and that's in you and you want to try it, go for it. I mean, Hollywood, the people that I have met here in Hollywood have been some of the most wonderful people. Like one, one, one of the reasons I'm so honored in, in being here, it's like I look at you and I look at the roster of guests that you've had. Man, ain't no weak, ain't no weak people sitting here with you, you know? Like everybody that tells their story to you, there are people who are self-starters, who, who did it on their own, you know? Like, yes, we, we get help and, and there's a lot of wonderful people that come into our lives and help us, but there's really no set path. It's not like a lawyer that knows, you know, you got to do for your four years, then you go here and a doctor does his practice or whatever. No, it's completely open. And so if you really want it and you're all about it and you work hard, I think the chances of, of success are there because the industry needs people like that. You know, the industry is not going to reject a hard worker. It's not going to reject somebody who's passionate, you know? So yes, come on over. We need people like you. And I, and I also think that another thing to, to point out about the pandemic, there's been a lot of really things that have been happening to this entire year, 2020. If we could just write this one off and just like move on would be great. But at the same time, I'm always trying to find the opportunity in every situation, no matter how bad. And one of the opportunities that's come out of it is we're now recognizing our fault and that we don't have enough people that are able to be a part of telling their stories. And if we're talking about like demographics and people that are, you know, this minority or that minority, we're now recognizing, oh boy, we, we got to do something about this. And if we can find people like you or of other minorities that have different stories and different experiences, we need to bring more of them in there. And yes, it's really uncomfortable to be like, oh boy, we kind of messed this one up. But at least now we have the opportunity to fix it, which is one of the reasons that it's important to me to allow you to tell your story so that somebody else that's listening that might be 15 years before where you are, that here's the voice. Now, I'm, I'm from, from Puerto Rico. Like, we, we don't do this thing. We don't do the Hollywood thing. I want them to listen to you and say, all right, never mind. I'm, whatever the voice is in the back of my head, I'm going to turn that one off. I'm going to put in earbuds and the new voice is going to be Augie. Right. That that that's why we're doing this. And there's there's so many other things that we can talk about as far as your health journey, work life balance, all those other things. I definitely want to get there. But there's one thing you and I really haven't talked about yet at all, either today or offline. When I look at your IMDB pro page, it makes no sense. <laughs> if I look at my page, I used to get this all the time. They would look at it, they'd see the credits, and then all of a sudden burn notice. How did that happen? So You're with right. your IMDB Pro page, it's a few little things here and there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, from dusk till dawn, Heroes Reborn, Hawaii 5.0, like what in the world? So you come out in 2010, talk about the gap between arriving and all of a sudden your resume exploding. Well, I'm, I'm glad you say, say that because um, that's another thing that I, I think you and I have in common. You know, we've, we've had very storied and varied disciplines in, in, our, in our careers. Um, that just goes to show, you know, what, what's wonderful is that, that life, I, I, the more I, you know, soul search and, and, and look at things, you know, life is really like, 
like a canvas that we paint, right? And then there are days that we have to focus on the brush strokes and the lines. But then there are days that it behooves us to step back and look at the canvas and, and look at, you know, the entire piece and how we're doing. So what you've done just now is you've forced me to step back and kind of look at, at, at the canvas, which is, it's great. Um, but as you well know, when people tell the, their stories, we tend to encapsulate things in the canvas. And so for those people listening out there, um, those friends that I haven't met yet, but that they might be on the fence about joining the industry or this and that, you have to remember that um, success is never a straight line. And so I can show you the canvas, but what I should really be talking about is all those, you know, dead ends and bumping my head against a brick wall and, you know, doing things that didn't work out. And between that is the, the main theme of not quitting, you know, like whatever happens, just get up again, keep going because things are going to appear. When I, when I got here in 2010, yes, the, the major goal was to be in Hollywood to either start doing features or scripted television. Well, it took me a good four and a half years to do that because, um, you know, I had a family. First and foremost, I had to provide for them. And, you know, I didn't know anybody in, in the city, let alone in the industry, in the city. I didn't know anybody. So I had to make a living and the, easiest way or quickest way for me to make a living was, you know, going back to commercials and advertising. So I edited commercials for about those four and a half years. And, but what happened was, and again, it's, it's also times of crisis, like we're in now that they just create opportunities and they, they just put you in a, in a position where you, you end up fighting a lot harder than you would under normal circumstances, if you're in a comfortable position. So what happened to me in, in advertising was that um, I started working at an ad agency downtown as one of their in-house editors, and that went pretty well, although that's a recipe for abuse. When we talk about work-life balance, they have you in there, they'll work you to the bone. You know, like I was doing everything from quick time transcodes to actually cutting campaigns, you know, so it, you know, it, it was like super exhausting. After two years at that agency uh, or three years, I got offered a job at a really high profile commercial editorial house in Santa Monica. And I jumped at the chance. I took it. Uh, this is going to be great, you know. But what I didn't know, the way a lot of those boutiques work is it's it's very... It's very cutthroat. It's not, you know, I thought I was going to join a team and we were, no, it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like a, like a clearing house for editors and editors are very much commoditized and you have your clientele and they have projections of numbers that you have to hit every year. And if you don't hit those numbers, then they don't renew your contract. So what happened to me was that I, I very um, 
naively went into this job without any really like any agency relationships in LA or anything like that. And, you know, long story short, I didn't meet those projections and, and I was, you know, let go at the end of the year. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm unemployed. And that's the moment of crisis where you're like, okay, I have about three months here to survive. Um, if I'm going to make a move, it has to be now. And I did, I reached out to, you know, one of the angels on my path. His name is Alfonso Gomez Rejon. He's a wonderful director. And he put me in touch with the people at Dust Till Dawn. And that's how I, I did my first, my first job. And, and what's funny is that, I, I, you know, all those years later, I felt like I was back in Puerto Rico trying to learn an habit, you know, because I went to, from Dust Till Dawn, I didn't get hired. You know, I, I just said, can I just come in and help out? And again, I, I adopted that mindset that served me well. I was like, I have this job. They just don't know it yet, but <laughs> I, I have it. I have it. I'm, I'm just going to show up every day at 8.30 and, and, and help out. And, and I have this job. They, they just don't know it. And lo and behold, it happened. Eventually, I ended up getting hired. And based on that work, I was recommended to my, my big brother in the industry, like the, like the most influential person, uh, Mr. James Wilcox, ACE. Totally uh, shameless plug. Yeah, that's recent, right. Recent <laughs> podcast guest. I will put him in the show notes. Continue. James Wilcox blew me away, dude. One of my favorite interviews ever. I can see why he was a guiding light for you. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Continue. And I, no, I love the episode, by the way. It's, it's fantastic. I listened to it, you know, repeatedly. So, you know, they, um, you know, Mr. Peter Tassler, who was the, the, the post producer on Hawaii Five O, called me. And he said, you know, I hear good things. And, and I knew Peter from my Miami days. We had worked on at the same post house. But, you know, understandably, he was like, you have no scripted credits. You know, Five-0 is a tough show. I don't know. But after cutting my teeth on From Dust Till Dawn, I got put in touch. You know, he asked me, you know, would you like to interview? Because um, James is looking for an assistant for next season. And I got to tell you, he put the fear of God in me. Like he was like, he's very demanding, you know, he's, you know, you got to be on point and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'll meet him, you know? And, and right away, it, I, it was just like instant connection. I, I felt very close to him because right away I understood this is a guy who's fair, but he's all about the work and I'm all about the work. So I'm not going to I'm not going to shortchange him on that. And I'm, you know, I'm going to work hard. So I think we're, we're going to get along fine. And lo and behold, we were together almost six years. My sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me topo. That's T-O-P-O. You know, he's definitely a good person to, to have on your short list of people that are looking for you when they have their next job come along. So I, I, have, I have a much, much clearer idea now of how to make sense of uh, the IMDb Pro resume. And I love, love some of the ideas behind it. The one that I love the most, I'm so going to steal this. I have the job. They just don't know it yet. It's funny because I've never put it into such succinct words. That is exactly how I felt when I went after burn notice. And it's exactly how I felt when I went after Cobra Kai. I knew they were never going to find somebody that was a better fit. They could look until the end of time. Nobody is going to crush the show the way, way that I will. You guys just don't know it. So it's my chance to prove it to you. And you're, you're of the same mentality that you just showed up and you just helped until they figured it out themselves. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny, and, and, and please, you know, your listeners out there, please don't misunderstand. It's, it's, not, a, it's not an ego thing, because believe me, I, I'm very much against ego. Anything that has to do with ego usually messes up my life big time. It's almost like, like a feeling of like, I so want to help out, and I so want to be a part of this, you know, that that it, it just feels right. You know, like I, I think one of the things that we forget, I was talking to a, um, a young lady who wanted some advice and I said, you know, about interviewing and all that stuff. And I said, yeah, you know, do your homework and be professional and all that stuff. But, you know, one thing that, that we all tend to forget and we shouldn't, don't forget that childlike enthusiasm, you know, that that speaks volumes, you know, like, like being childish is not acceptable, but being childlike is fantastic. And, and don't be afraid to, to show that you're excited about something, you know, like we all, uh, we're also, oh, am I going to say the wrong thing? And what, no, man, if you're excited about Cobra Kai, who wouldn't be excited about Cobra Kai, man? You know, it's like <laughs> fucking Daniel San and, you know, Johnny's back and, you know, I'm, that's awesome. You know, I still remember when I saw the Karate Kid multiple times in Puerto Rico, you know, 
this is why we do this, you know? This is why we, this is why I left my country. This is why I don't eat rice and beans that often because I'm in another country, you know? Like, the chance to even be in the room with these people is is fantastic. And and why would you hide that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of believing I have to be professional. I have to be all kept up. It's very corporate. Like I have to be it, – it's just – it's not that way in this industry at all. And I think the the biggest takeaway that's really important to dive into a little bit further before we kind of transition to the next area of the call is you talking about ego. And I think what's really important for people to understand is there's a fine line but a very important one between arrogance and confidence. Arrogance is, oh, yeah, I'm the best candidate. I'm so good at what I do. You'd be stupid to not hire me. Confidence is I know that nobody can provide the value to you that I can. I know I can make your show better, and I want to, and I want to be a part of this. There's nothing wrong with being confident. That's how you felt, and that's the same way that I felt. It was never, oh, my God, I'm so the best fit for Cobra Kai. You guys would be so dumb to hire somebody else. I'm amazing. That's arrogance. Confidence is I love this show almost as much or as much as you do, and I will do everything I can to create your vision of it. I'm confident that I can do that. People sense that. They feel it, and it's not about, well, I've worked on Avid, and I have this credit and this credit and this credit. Like you said, it's the passion, but it's also the confidence that I can deliver and I can provide you the value, which you've really learned how to how to succinctly package and make very clear to people. Yeah, you know, and, and it's like um... – I actually, I shameless plug of this article that I wrote for Joaquin's website, uh, the service centric mindset. I, I think that if, you know, it, it talks about that, like how do we, cause you know, you go to all these panels and, and all these industry professionals, they're like, Oh, it's so political and you got to read the room. And, and so that can create a lot of uncertainty on people. Like how do I act? And I just distilled it to that, man. It's, it's like, if you, do everything from the point of view of of serving your your fellow your fellow guys and gals on a show like your fellow crew like really from the heart everything that you do is about pushing the rock up the hill and making the show better man there's very little you can do that's going to be misconstrued you know because you know when when you do that you anticipate people's needs you try to make life easier for the showrunners and the producers and all that stuff. And, and that's ultimately what, what it's all about. You know, if, if you as an editor or assistant or PA or whatever, doing your job, you create a, a sense and a feeling that these people don't have to manage you or don't have to be on you. You are winning, man. You will get hired again you will get noticed, you will get promoted because this job is super hard. You know, just if you're only doing your job description, it's hard enough. And so if on top of that, you're having to, you know, pick up the slack for somebody else, that's not good, you know? So if you kind of take it from, from that point of view of like, I just want to help, you know? And, and, it also happened to me like um, in, in combating my own anxiety. Like I, I just uh, had the pleasure of um, editing some, some episodes of The Good Lord Bird for Showtime, co-editing them. But one of the things that I got hired on the show and the first day, 
they tell me, okay, you're coming in on your first day at 9 a.m. At 12, the director of episode six is coming in and you need to do her director's cut. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, and I, I was freaking out. How am I going to do this? I haven't had time to look at the dailies and da, 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 da. And then that approach really centered me because I said, you know what, dude, this is an extraordinary situation. And at the end of the day, you are here to help. You know, you are the one that's helping them, you know, get out of this like weird situation. So just go in there with a good attitude. Don't be afraid because you are helping. And yeah, that just completely chilled me out. And I went in and, you know, had a wonderful four days with that director and she left super happy. And, but it was that, it was just like, when we sat down, I said, you know, we've all been thrown in this frying pan, but I'm here for you. I don't care how long I have to work, you know, let me know what you need. And I will make sure you leave here with the cut that you want. And we were off to the races and, you know, we still call each other on the phone and, you know, it's wonderful. And again, that goes to the conversation about arrogance versus confidence. Arrogance in that situation is I'm going to pretend that I'm awesome. I'm totally going to hide the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing. I haven't watched anything. I don't know where the footage is. Who is this director? Wait a second. How do I work my desk chair? I just got here three hours ago. But no, I have to convey that I'm awesome as opposed to I'm just going to be open about this. Here's the elephant in the room. This is a tough situation. We're all stuck here. Let's figure it out together. I'm here to serve you. It changes the dynamic of the entire relationship. Then when a question comes up, hey, how about this shot? Got to be honest. I don't know where that is. I haven't even opened this bin yet, right? But you can get through those things as long as you are setting those expectations and making it clear this is the dynamic of the relationship. I want to serve you. I want to help you tell your story. Now let's figure out this BS schedule together right? Makes all the difference in the world. And you alluded to the fact that this is it's certainly no secret that working in this industry is really hard and it creates a lot of anxiety and it takes a toll on people from the health perspective, uh, causes burnout, causes depression. So I want to rewind back to, I believe it was around 2014 or 2015. I had this crazy, stupid idea. I'm going to try and make editors healthier and do this fitness and post thing. <laughs> and as I remember, you were one of my very first, like you joined a, an online group. I think it was all of like maybe $4.99 or some crazy thing. We're going to get our Fitbits and do yeah, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I know that you and I have talked about this before, where in th this is a, a problem that I've learned to abate as much as I can. But I have a tendency to become a fire hose of information. <laughs> Here's everything you have to know and more. And you'd said something very specific to me that I think is going to be a great way to, to segue this conversation. You said that was the right information at the wrong time. Right. What was happening at that time for you? Well, you know, like, like, like you said, and I, I'm, I'm going to just lay it out straight, you know, because I, I keep it real. Like, listen, I'm here from the health perspective. We're, we're segueing into this. I am here to represent all the health reprobates out there. You know, like you, we, we tend to, you know, uh, listen to, to fitness coaches and whatever. And going back to the idea of the canvas, these guys have a pretty finished canvas. You know, these guys are like, they're black belts. They're like on chapter 50 of their novel. I'm here to represent the cats that are like on chapter one, you know, and, and then like 
like that kid maybe in, in, in Nicaragua who's like, should I, you know, should I take the plunge and go to Hollywood? I'm here to represent those guys who've been overweight, who've abjectly failed at getting fit, you know, and are, are thinking, should I take that plunge? Should I, should I try again? Yeah, try again. You know, I'm here to say that little by little, you can get a handle on your health. I'm still a long way from being healthy. Like Hugh Jackman and Mark Wahlberg ain't got nothing to worry about. They ain't going <laughs> to lose the cover of men's health to me. They're in no danger of that. They've also got more than enough money to afford that with an entire team of <laughs> professionals surrounding them. There's nothing that annoys me more when people look at the celebrity picture. Oh, look at what he was able to do. Do you have any idea what that costs, the amount of time they put into it and the support that surrounds them? It's insanity. We're it's talking, insanity. I, I don't remember the exact number. I'm going to quote it wrong. Somebody's going to look it up and say that I got it wrong. And I'm sure I did. But I believe that uh, LeBron James's uh, budget for the year just for massages and food and like all the recoveries, just things that make him a better person, not even athletic training is over a million dollars a year. Damn. Just to take wow. care of himself and recover. We, we ain't got that kind of money or that kind of time. So the, we're, we're fighting a completely different battle. What brought you to the group in the first place? Because you said you were chapter one. And yeah. I, I was right. I was reading from chapter 43. Yeah. Um, that, that, like I've always struggled with my weight, you know, like I, I was a, a morbidly obese kid and, and full disclosure, I was a morbidly obese adult to the point that in, in the year 2009, and this is something I, I don't know why I didn't talk about this on, on the pre-interview, but I was so far gone. Like I'm, I'm five, three. That's how tall I am. I used to walk around with my chest puffed up and collar popped because I thought I was 5'4". I measured <laughs> myself this week. I'm 5'3". All right. I'm lower than a whisper, you know. So at my heaviest as an adult, I was like an enchilada away from 300 pounds on, on a 5'3 frame, you know. I was... I got to a point where I was too far gone. And in 2009, I actually had gastric bypass, you know, because I, I felt that I had let my, my weight get so out of control that I was too far gone. Like I couldn't really work out. I couldn't really like, and so, you know, I, I made that decision. It, it's funny. And this is a conversation that we could have three podcasts about, but knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have made that decision, but I'm glad I did because for me, I used it as a tool. It kind of like leveled the playing field and got me back to a point where I could execute again, where I could, where I could move without pain and where I could, you know, exercise and all that stuff. But anyway, um, in, in 2014, what brought me to your group was like, I was noticing that after you know, I had the, the surgery in 09 and it was 2014. I had already beaten the odds. Like they say within two years, like people gained their way back and whatever. I hadn't, but I was starting to notice myself slowly creeping up again. I'm like, ah, no, no way. So I wanted, you know, to get into a, a group or something that would help me address my weight, which has been always like my, my nemesis, you know? Um, and so I joined and that's exactly what happened. Like I was just overwhelmed with information, you know? 
And to the point that it just short-circuited me, you know? But also, at that time, what, what was happening to me too, it's like I was transitioning into scripted television. And yes, you know, like I had started working on a very tough show, you know, Hawaii Five-0 is incredibly demanding, you know, as, as you know, you've done those procedurals where there's so many gears to those shows. There's the, the action, the humor, all the gag, you have to do temp effects and sound design is crucial. It was just a lot, you know, and so I was already like dealing with all of that on the professional side. And then trying to tame all this information on the personal side, it was just too much. Like one of of them had to give. And at that point, I made the choice that the fitness in post had to give for a while. And like everything, you know, very, very predictably, I spent the the next um, almost six years uh, working very hard cultivating a lot of professional success. But I also put on, you know, 40, 50 pounds and, you know, ran headfirst into the titanium thumbtack that is, you know, burnout and depression. And yeah, you know, it's, um, it's like every decision that you make has a price. And so that was the, the very heavy price that I paid. You know, and, and but I, I do want to say, getting back to <laughs> to being overwhelmed by fitness in post and all that stuff. Like um, at first, I was like very turned off. I was like, ah, I have this, and this is you know too much work, and blah, blah blah blah. Started to get a handle on my health and taking ownership of my body and my mind. I realize now how wonderful what you were doing was because when you start to take ownership of your, of your life. It's like finding, I don't know, like what, what some people would say, I found religion or I found, you know, like you get this sort of, this sort of wonderful feeling washing over you and and you can't help but want to share it, you know? Um, and, and that's where I saw what you were doing. It's like this, this is somebody that, that wants to share this, this, great feeling. And how can that be wrong? You know? Um, but here's, here's what I've realized about myself in, in the course of trying to get a handle on my health and my fitness and whatever, I tried everything. I tried all types of diets, you know, personal trainers, uh, meal delivery services, all that stuff. Um, about two years ago, I, I can trace it back that I started laying the groundwork for like really getting healthy. You know, I started reading more about nutrition. I started reading and little by little, not almost like imperceptible steps, almost like if I admitted to myself that I was reading a nutrition book, like it might just vanish and I might just short circuit myself, you know, but little by little and putting, you know, uh, instituting small little changes, you know, that I could keep building, you know, like, and, and what I learned was that things I wish I, I'd known is that this is a process that takes time. This is a process that is far from sexy. There's no like hacks, like they promise you, like, if you stop eating bananas, you're going to lose weight. No, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So 
it's a process that takes time. And every time that I've tried to circumvent the process, I've ended up messing things up and actually gaining more weight and undoing whatever progress I've made, you know? And so once again, you realize that there's, you know how we have different voices that speak to us? When it comes to weight loss, there's all types of different weight losses, you know? Like, let's say, you know, yes, that the eddies are coming up and you want to fit into that tuxedo and you're six weeks out. And so you starve yourself for six weeks and you fit into that tuxedo. That's weight loss. You, you lost weight, but is it sustainable? No, it's not. You know, it's like you, you're building a house of cards. It'll, it'll sit there for when you need it to present it. But the minute even a, a small breeze blows, that house of cards is coming down. So the biggest lesson that I've learned in the past two years is that small changes equal sustainability and sustainability equals consistency. And that consistency takes you little by little towards success, you know, and that's where I've been really enjoying myself, you know, and, and when the pandemic happened, I saw it, man. I had a vision of the future where I put on 70 pounds, you know, and came out like suicidal. And I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. You know, I'm, if, you know, if the world is going on pause, the only thing that I'm going to promise myself is I'm going to try and come out better than I went in. And that's what I've been doing, you know, because I've realized too that, you know, when you think about exercise and, you know, uh, we think of Rocky, you know, and, and the montage. I'm not Rocky. You know who I am? I'm Clover Lang. I'm Mr. <laughs> T in Rocky Three. Like, oddly enough, I realized that I respond better to training myself, you know, to taking time, you know, an hour, hour and a half for myself in the garage, you know, with very limited equipment, but that's my time. You know, one of the things too, like in listening to my silence is that I realize that um, the reason I don't respond to trainers or a lot of leaderboards or stuff like that is because I realize that because of my upbringing, and I, I have no problem talking about this, but um, I realized that I am the, the, an adult child of an alcoholic. And what happens to a lot of us who grow up with alcoholics is that we become codependent, take on this role where we don't want to cause problems, rock the boat. We're always managing uh, the alcoholic. Um, and so you get into these patterns where everything you do is not for you. It's for other people. And so you, you start putting the success is based on external circumstances, like a trainer telling you that you're doing good, a teacher praising you, you know, a, a parent giving you the attention that they don't normally give you. 
you know? And so for me, that became a way of life, you know? And I've had to like really step back because what happens to codependents and and children of alcoholics and addicts is like we repeat the patterns, you know? Um, If we don't even know what's happening to us, we repeat these patterns. We repeat them in our working relationships. We repeat them in our social relationships, in our, you know, romantic loving relationships. And that was one of the things where it sounded so counterintuitive to me. Like you've always been like a fitness reprobate. How are you going to train yourself? You know? And I got to tell you, man, I've had the most success training myself and, 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 you know, doing my thing with myself because once I was able to identify my codependency, I understood where a lot of those behaviors came from. And it was like a, like an armed revolution started inside of me. And it started with the fact that for the first time, and I know that this sounds kind of kumbaya-ish or whatever, but I don't care. For the first time, once I, I was able to recognize my codependency, for the first time, I, I actually liked myself. I actually understood um, where I stood and why I did the things that I did and was able to like, without any blame, I'm, I'm not here to blame my parents or no, they, they were great people and like, Every person they have their short they had their shortcomings, you know, and that's cool. You recognize that, you give it a name, you let it pass through you, but then it's up to you to get up and and do that. You, you don't don't keep sending them the bill for that, you know. Like you pay your own bill, you know. And so, for the first time, I really liked myself, and I, and I saw this phrase. I don't know who said it, but it was so consonant with what was happening to me. I saw it on on Instagram. It said, loving yourself. That's where the revolution starts. And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm in. (laughs) You know, I'm going to grab my AK and and go into the hills, you know. That's a very different revolution, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, but no, I, I grabbed my jump ropes and, you know, my resistance bands and, you know, have been doing my thing. And then from you, I learned that there are some things that you can actually, there are some actual very useful gadgets that will help you on your journey. Like for me, things I cannot live without to anybody that's out there going like, ah, I might want to try this, you know. Um, I cannot live without my jump ropes, you know. Um, and I'm not affiliated with them, but they're amazing. Uh, it's a company called Crossrope. They make the most amazing jump ropes. They're like the Teslas of jump ropes. I actually gave James a set for his birthday. And he would call me from New York with the pandemic and be like, dude, you're a prophet. These jump ropes are saving my life, you know? So I cannot live without my jump ropes. I actually bought, and and it's not cheap, but I've gotten a lot of use out of it, is, is a gorilla bow. With the, uh, with the resistance bands. Fantastic. And then the third thing that helps me out, especially because I'm training myself and it's that age-old question, how do you know you are working hard enough? It's a heart rate monitor, you know? And, you know, get the one that goes around your chest. Don't get 
those wristwatches because I can't see, man. And especially at 4.30, 5 in the morning when I'm, you know, my vision is super blurry, so I can't see the, the watch. But the chest one, you, you put on your phone and Bluetooth and it gives you a, a big reading. And so you figure out your, you know, your fat burning zone and whatever, and you see that number displaying there and you know, you know, what kind of level you have to maintain. And so, you know, little by little, I, I just been, it's, it's become a part of me now. Like, like now it's not like, oh, I got to work out. And that's how I started. It's like, oh, I got to work out. Now it's more like I have to stop myself. There are days that I wake up and I'm feeling run down. And I know myself, I know that I, I am very susceptible to compulsive behavior sometimes. And exercise can also become a compulsion. I, I feel great. And, and the greatest thing that you've talked about, you know, forever, and I'm, I'm feeling it now, is that your mind clears. You know, when you start taking care of your body, you know, your mind becomes clearer and I can see things from different perspective now that before when I was full of junk food and, and no, no sleep and whatever, you know, yeah, your body goes, but the first thing that goes is your mind. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, there's, there's at least a million and a half things, so many threads I could pull. Each of them could become their own episode. Just the heart rate monitor alone. I could dedicate <laughs> yeah. an entire episode to talking about heart rate straps, heart rate variability, apps to get, how to connect them to your training, fat burning zones. That could be one episode. There's about 14 episodes in the last 10 minutes that I could dive into. But there, there, there's one place that I think is the most important takeaway for anybody listening that you've already hit home and I just want to emphasize it again. It was this idea of small incremental changes. And one of the, the, I don't even know if I just made up the saying now or if there's something I read and I don't realize it, but there's a huge difference between getting fit and getting healthy. You are trying to get fit. You're trying to like, and when you said, oh, well, they say you can lose weight by not eating bananas anymore. Yeah, you can. 
you can lose weight by not eating any food at all and sweating all day. Like there's so many ways to lose weight and you're going to get fit, right? Yeah. Smoke meth. Yeah. You know? Smoke meth and you're going to get fit real fast. And I think that the the problem is that uh, fitness programs, diet programs, those things are a multi-billion dollar industry because they promise quick results. Yes. Long-term sensible lifestyle change does not make billions of dollars. But that's what it takes to get healthy. And what you did was you – and I discovered the same thing. When I started Fitness and Post, it was more about fitness. And I realized this is a much longer game than I thought it was because I continued to fail as well. And it really wasn't until about three years ago that I, for myself, cracked the consistency code. And when people assume consistency and discipline and this guy's training Ninja Warrior, he must be exercising six days a week. You know what I did this morning during my exercise time? I laid on my yoga mat and I stared at the ceiling for 45 minutes because I'm just, I'm spent for the week. I know I don't have another workout in me, but I listen to my body because I can always do another workout tomorrow because there is no 90 day finish line. The finish line is the only finish line that's coming. And I'm going to make sure that I'm as far away from that one as possible. And you also figured out it's all about consistency and these small little tiny steps. And there's a phrase, I don't know if you came up with it or you, I know that you wrote about it, this concept of killing your clone. Oh, I, love I, that. I would that love to close with this idea of killing your clone. Oh my God, man. I, I love that. I, I actually heard that from Ethan Supli on his podcast. Like I'll plug it too. It's a wonderful podcast called American Glutton. And again, it's, it's for, for us that are, you know, trying to get healthy and are, you know, regular people, you know, check it out. It's fantastic. He had this gentleman on called Tom Kyer. And Tom Kyer, he's a, a subject matter expert on etched weapons, on, on Sayoc Kali, which is something that you and I need to geek out about because I know you're into martial arts and so am I, you know, because every time I would have like a, a shortcoming in my life, I would go and pick up a martial art. So you would think that I'd be part of Project Treadstone because I, like, <laughs> I know, all, you know, I've taken so many sure. you know, styles. No, but... You know, these guys train in, in knife fighting, basically, um, in Sayokali. And as part of their mindset training, he has this thing where he, that, that he calls killing your clone, which is, speaks to the heart of these like small incremental changes. He says, imagine that every night at midnight, you will meet an exact clone of yourself as you were. 24 hours ago. That clone is you 24 hours ago. And without any further ado, he, that clone will attack you and you will fight him to the death. You'll have to fight him to the death. If in the last 24 hours you've done even one small thing to be better than you were 24 hours ago, you will be victorious. So the question he posits to everyone every day is like, what have you done to kill your clone today? And I think that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I loved it. I loved it. So I, I wrote about it uh, because it speaks to, to, to the heart of that. You don't have to move a mountain to, to feel triumphant, you know, just read that article, you know, write that poem you've been on the fence about writing, you know, do those extra five reps, take up a, a music instrument, you know, whatever, learn how to sculpt, 
those are all things that I've been doing in the pandemic. You know, those things make you better. They, they feed who you are and they inform the work. Like I, I used to be all about editing and like I buy editing books and, and, re, and, and that has its place. But you also have to feed the artist in you, man. You also have to feed, you know, the, the heart and the gut engine that's going to inform the work. And I think that's it's such a big mistake that people make as creatives, especially those of us that spend so much time in front of a computer. The only way that I'm growing as an editor is learning about Avid and learning about Premiere and watching movies and practicing my craft in the timeline. All of those are great. But the fact that I practice ninja training is making me a better editor and a better creative professional because I learn how to solve complex problems. It enhances my creativity. It gives me more energy. It gives me so much more focus. But we think they're mutually exclusive. Well, I'm not really allowed to exercise in the morning because that's taking away from my time in front of the computer. The exercise is making you better and more effective at your computer. So this idea that they're mutually exclusive, I'm trying, you want to talk about killing something? I want to kill this idea because I'm over it. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can focus on work-life balance and have that be why we are successful, not despite the fact that we are prioritizing these things. Like I just, I want to beat that drum until my dying day is that the work-life balance is you getting better as an editor or a composer or a designer or whatever your craft is. Those things are making you better at your job. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've paid a, a heavy price for ignoring that, you know, and, and it's cost me, it's cost me dearly. Like, like here, here's another thing that's really important for me to, to make clear, you know, because again, you know, like when we talk about the whole, we, we get, we tend to get caught up in, in the finished canvas. It's like, I have made so many mistakes and I have, because of my behavior for not, not having a good handle on my health. I have made other people suffer. I mean, there's, there's no other way to say it. it it's, it's, it's so, I, I can't say it any more succinctly than that, you know, because when we don't take care of the work-life balance, when we don't take care of ourselves, we start suffering inside and then the fear kicks in and, and the easiest way to deal with fear is to just throw it at somebody else. You know, you're suffering, you throw it at somebody else rather than doing the work, rather than looking inside of yourself. You know, it's, it's easier and more comfortable to be like, well, so-and-so like gets on my nerves and, and, and you're this and you're that, and you're making me feel this way. And, you know, and I've made so many mistakes and I've, I've made so many people suffer. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've really taken this journey seriously, because I feel like, like I have a lot to make up for, you know, I am, I am by far not a perfect soul and, and I want to be better, you know, I, I do. And this is why I'm, I'm, I'm on it, you know, beyond looking better or beyond fitting into a, a, a pair of jeans or whatever. I just, you know, I, we've all been given a, a certain amount of grace. And so it, it falls to us to not let that go to waste. You know, we need to, we need to like really actively find what our purpose is 
and go crush it because that that grace has been bestowed upon us and it it cannot go to waste. And I've wasted it for too many years. I can't imagine a better place to, to leave us off. I have a feeling that uh, there may be an ellipses and a to be continued somewhere in here because I think you and I have a lot more to talk about at some point. But uh, at least for today, I will be respectful of your time. And I think this is certainly a, a great start. Uh, I honestly had no idea when we jumped on this call today that our story went all the way back to Edit Fest 2010. But I love the <laughs> fact that that's one of the conversations you had when you first got out here. It gave you just the little tiniest bit of inspiration to get started, keep going. Then all of a sudden our paths crossed again in the, the Fitness to Post group. And now here you are over a decade later. So man, th this has been quite the journey and, uh, and one hell of an interview. And I'm really glad that we reconnected and I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more to, to come soon. So uh, if people want to find you, they want to connect with you, they want to learn more about you, they want to build a relationship, how can people find you? Uh, well, I have a, a Facebook page that I check like once a day because I'm, I'm very, um, very leery about consuming too much social media. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I'm, I'm there, uh, Agustin Rexach. You can find me on, on, on Facebook. Please friend me or send me a, a messenger. I might take a little bit because like I said, I'm not, I actively, I turn off notifications and I actively don't engage with it so much, you know. I'm also on Instagram uh, in post poppy in LA, all one word. Um, and I think I gave you those links. So, um, we'll make yeah. sure to include both of them in the show notes for sure. Yeah. I, I, I would love to hear from, from people and, you know, like I'm, I'm involved in, in, in the community. I'm involved with the Latin steering committee at the guild. Um, I'm involved with Joaquin, you know, I'm a guest, uh, contributor to his Hollywood editing mentor and anything that I can do, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Um, love hearing from people and I can't thank you enough for, for this opportunity. Thank you for letting me, you know, tell my story and, you know, um, you've, you are, you know, an inspiration, man. Like I look at you and like you found a purpose. So what I was talking about before you found your purpose and you've, you're, you got that pit bull bite on it, you know? Um, and that's wonderful. That's the best you can ever hope for. So thank you. Well, uh, I appreciate all of that, but honestly, the honor is mine, and I thank you for taking the time today. So uh, it's, it's been absolutely great having you here. Thank you. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well.